So the types of Bible studies that are in the church that are at least marketed toward women a lot of times, um, they're either like a study on Esther, which Esther is a great woman, don't get me wrong, but um, we need more than that. We need more than, you know, lessons teaching us how to be like the women in the Bible, or um, they're about Mary and Martha, or it might be like a topic-based study, you know, how to be a better mom, how to, um, you know, be a better wife or whatever, and those things are good, and they're right, and we need those things, but it's not enough. Um, what we need, I think, in the church today is more of the Bible. And so that's what this is. This is going to be a study of the Bible. Um, we're going to look at the book of Ephesians in depth. We're going to, I'm going to ask you to read through the whole entire book every week. And before you freak out, just know that it's only six chapters, so you can do it. It won't take you that long. It's not that, it's not as bad as it sounds in my Bible. It's only four pages. So over the course of a week, surely you can do that. And then each week we will study a smaller portion in depth. And you have homework questions that will probably remind you a little bit of your homework. Do you remember um, like your English textbooks when you were a kid? You know, read the stories and then answer the questions, the reading comprehension section, or like the ACT test. You know, they ask you 15 million questions about the story you just read. Yeah, that's what we're going to do. So... You'll have the passage every week, and then there's a series of about 30 questions about it. I know that sounds intimidating, um, but if you do a few questions a day, it won't be that bad. Um, It's not designed to be intimidating, but it is designed to help you think through the passage. Um, And I don't want you to start looking at the questions and think, but I don't know the answers. I don't don't know. I'm not a theological person. I've never studied this before. The point is to get you thinking about it. And it's okay. Just stop and think and write what you can, and we'll move on from there. Um, And then when we come back together, we'll talk about that week's passage and answer any questions that you may have had and um, share prayer requests with each other and all that sort of thing. Um, Let's see if there's anything else I missed about that. My prayer for us this summer is that as we study the Bible together, um, that the Lord will draw us together and unify us through his word and that the spirit will work among us and um, that we will be a testimony to God's power and his grace and his mercy and his love. Because um, we're a diverse group of women, right? Like we, you know, we're different ages. We have kids different ages. We've, we have different jobs and that sort of thing. But I think that um, whenever a group of people who are so different come together, um, then it's a great testimony to the God who unites us all. And so I hope that we are able to do that um, as we study this this together. Um, The two things, the two most important questions, um, I think that we need to ask as we read the Bible, as you study the Word, um, is what does this teach me about God and... In light of who God is, what is this teaching me about myself? Because it's only when we can see God for who he really is that we can become the people that he has created us to be, that we can move forth and and walk into that image and to be his people in the world. And so um, a lot of the questions have to do with God and who he is and his character and to help us see God more clearly. Um, And I think that when we do that, then we will walk away forever changed. So, that's an introduction to the study in general. Do y'all have any questions? Any thoughts? Am I scaring you? Have y'all ever done a Bible study like this before? 
No. I wish we have. I wish we did more of this in the church. Um, because I think a lot of times we leave, like, the studying of the Bible in this way to, like, the, the people in charge, you know. Um, we think we can't do it, but we can. It just takes a little bit of practice. And... Um, you can do it without that much help. In fact, how many of you have one of these like giant study bubbles? Does anybody have one? I'm going to ask you not to use it. <laughs> They're great, okay? I'm not saying you can't ever use it, um, but when you're doing your homework questions, I don't want you to use it. I don't want you to look down at the footnotes and see what they had to say about it. What do they say? Hmm. I mean, like, Seriously, there's more like footnotes here than there is scripture sometimes, you know. I want you to think through it on your own. And then maybe after you finish your homework, you can go back and look at the footnotes if you want to. Um, and because of that, because I know I don't expect you to go out and buy a Bible without all that stuff. I've got one without it. But because of that, in the back of your workbooks, the entire text of Ephesians is printed. Okay? So you have the whole book of Ephesians. It starts on page 55. And um, it's a copy that you can write all over, you know, circle certain words, scribble it, um, take your notes on. And so that way, you know, you have a clean copy that you can use. You don't have to go buy another Bible if you have one of the giant study Bibles, which are great tools. Um, but for this purpose, I really want you to um, discover what God is saying to you um, through his word. And so without any distractions of commentary from other people. Um, one of the reasons that I chose Ephesians was one of the options that I gave whenever we were selecting it is because it's one of my favorite books of the entire Bible. Um, it's short. It's only six chapters, but it's packed with a lot of good stuff. Um, there's so much about who God is in it that it just blows me away. And the reason that I decided to name it Limitless is because Paul spends so much time talking about... Um, how God lavishes his grace on us. He is rich in mercy. His power is immeasurably great. It's like every description that he gives of God is like way bigger than you can imagine. It is vast and it is big. And that is the God that we serve. He is limitless. And so I hope that as we study the word together that you will come to know more of our limitless God and um, you know, rest in the knowledge of who he is and know that this God who is so powerful and so loving and so kind and great um, and so gracious and so merciful um, has given you those things. His grace and his mercy and his love, they're never going to run out because they are limitless. Um, you're never going to come to a place where you have done something that is too bad for his grace to cover you. There is enough grace there for us all. And there is enough power there for us all to sustain us and to help us face um, life's toughest battles and to come through on the other side um, saying, God is good. Um, so, he is limitless, and I hope that we can see that together. All right, any questions so far? All right, if y'all will turn to page three. Um, this is the introduction. I'm going, we'll talk more specifically about the book of Ephesians, and y'all can take some notes um, to, to help you think your way through. And I'm actually going to talk about a lot of the things here that maybe the introduction in your study Bible would have covered. 
anyway, to give you some background on Ephesians. Um, I don't know. Have you ever thought about, like, how the Bible came to be in this form? Like, it didn't just, like, drop down from the sky. King James Version. Oh, right? That's not the way it happened. Um, the New Testament, especially, it was a collection of different documents um, that were passed around through the church. And um, some of them were letters. Some of them, like the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were written down specifically to tell the story of Jesus' life. Um, the book of Ephesians, specifically, is a letter. The fancy name for it is an epistle. It is in the epistolary genre. If you want to sound smart, you can, you can cover that. Throw that word out there for someone. Um, it's a letter. And it was written by the Apostle Paul um, to the church in Ephesus, kind of. Um, the reason I say kind of is because... Remember I just said that a lot of the letters and the documents were passed around through the church? Well, and a bunch of the copies, the oldest copies that we have of Ephesians, um, that phrase in Ephesus, um, which is in Ephesians 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Those two words in Ephesus aren't in a lot of the manuscripts. Um, They're not there. They're just missing. And so um, what a lot of scholars think is that this letter was actually kind of a circular letter. Like it was written to the churches in the Ephesus area. And so it would be like taken to a church and someone would stand up and read the letter in front of the whole church. And then they would take the letter on to the next church and someone would stand up there and read it. And so when we talk about the Ephesian church and who this letter was written to, it's not like one church building that we're sitting in today. It's like all the churches in the city. If you think about like every single church in the city of Brandon getting the same message, um, that's kind of what it was like for Paul. He was writing this letter, and he wrote it to the people in Ephesus. Um, One interesting thing about Ephesus is that Paul actually spent a lot of time there. Um, When, which, let me back up a minute. What do we know about Paul? Do y'all know anything about the Apostle Paul? This is yes, he did lots of time in jail. Yeah, before he became a Christian, he was a persecutor. His name was Saul. He um, tried to persecute. He was the one. Um, which the story of the early church is all in the Book of Acts. Okay, and early on in the Book of Acts, one of the disciples, Stephen, is being stoned. Um, because people didn't like what he was saying. And Paul was like standing there looking on, holding people's coats. Like, oh, you're going to throw a stone here? Let me hold your coat. Let me hold that for you while you do that. So he was obviously okay with what was going on. In fact, he got permission from the Jewish, Jewish council to go and like gather up more Christians to throw in jail. So he was not exactly on Jesus' side in the beginning. But what happened? What happened with Paul? Anyone? On the road to Damascus. <laughs> Which... Oh, Damascus, man, I mean, yes, he went blind. Um, crazy, which have you ever thought about how scary that must have been? Like we, I, I, sometimes I think we gloss over that part of the story, but I taught this lesson in a Sunday school class a few weeks ago. It's on Paul's conversion. And like he, he was riding to Damascus, like all powerful, you know, like he's got these letters from the Jewish officials. He's going to go round up Christians. And then Jesus like literally knocks him on his tail. And he's like, nope, sorry, that's not what you're doing. In fact, you're not even going to be able to walk by yourself by the time I'm done with you. 
And um, that's what happens. You know, the great flashing light, Jesus talks to him, and Paul becomes a Christian. But he's blinded. He can't see um, until a few days later one of the other believers comes to him and talks to him and prays with him, and the scales fall off his eyes. And from that moment on, Paul becomes one of the greatest leaders in the early church. He becomes a missionary, um, specifically to the Gentiles. Now, who are Gentiles? What would you say? Uses. 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 <laughs> yes, uses. Yes, everyone who was not a Jew. So if you, there were the Jews and there were the Gentiles. Um, and what Paul would do, if you read through the book of Acts, is that he would go into a city, because he's traveling around spreading the gospel. He'd go to the city, and the first place he went was the synagogue. He always went to talk to the Jews first, but they usually didn't like what he had to say. And so after he'd been there for a while, they would, like, throw him out, and he'd go to somebody's house and preach for, like, I don't know, a year or something like that. And then he'd move on to the next city before, or, like, be run out of the city on his way to somewhere else. Well, the thing about Ephesians is that Paul actually spent, like, two years in Ephesus. Um, It was one of the places that he stayed the longest. And one of the most moving passages in Acts is when um, it's right before Paul is arrested, he, like, says goodbye to the elders of the church in Ephesus, and it's just, like, heart-wrenching, you know, um, because he knows that they're out to get him, that he's going to be arrested. And so he says goodbye to him. but the church in Ephesus was one that he was familiar with. He, had, he knew those people, um, and he had spent a great deal of time there. And because he had spent a great deal of time there, he was familiar with the kinds of things that they struggled with in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, which I'm so glad we're in this room, lucky us, they have a map is right here on the edge of the Aegean Sea. It was a port city, so it's kind of a big deal. This is like modern-day Turkey, okay, to kind of give you an idea. Um, In the Roman Empire, it was actually like the seat of Asia. It was kind of a big deal. Um, And one of the commentaries I read said that there were, like in Ephesus and the surrounding areas, actually up to like half a million people. Like, it was a big place. And um, one of the seven wonders of the world is there. Do you know what it is? Anyone? The history book? The Temple of Artemis, which I'm, you know, take that watch as you will. And um, one of the reasons that Paul got run out of Ephesus is because all the people who loved Artemis so much did not like him being there. And they rioted. They, like, had this big riot to throw him out because they said that their great city was known as being a temple of Artemis. Um, one of the other things, I guess, that is a big deal in Ephesus was kind of like the occult and like dark arts kind of stuff. Um, in Acts chapter 19, it says that like a bunch of the people who lived in Ephesus became believers. And then they came and they, it says they confessed and divulged their practices that sounds serious, right? Like, let me tell you all the things I've done. Um, and it says, A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Okay, so there's this kind of like atmosphere of, I don't know, maybe it was like Salem. What do you think of when you think of Salem, Massachusetts? Witchcraft, like you automatically associate it with it, right? Because of those trials that happened all those years ago. Well, this was something that was kind of also um, like a hallmark of Ephesus was this kind of like occult, magical, dark arts kind of stuff. 
And because of that attitude, actually, after Paul left the city, like things he had touched, relics from Paul, were like passed around and people would like touch them hoping for a miracle. Okay, so there's like this kind of mindset going on of like magical type stuff, which explains a lot because one of the most famous passages in Ephesians is chapter 6. What do you know what that is? The armor of God, putting on the armor of God for the spiritual warfare that you're facing because there are all these dark and evil forces against us. And so when you put that in the context of the city, the area in which it was written to, it makes a lot of sense because they were facing all of this stuff on a daily basis, okay? All right. I'm jumping all over the place because I'm not looking at the order of questions that y'all have. So y'all tell me, am I answering any of them? Maybe? Kind of. Okay. So I've covered like the first two. Okay. Moving on. It was probably written um, between the years 60 and 62 A.D., Um, That is toward the end of Paul's life. He, um, scholars think that he was probably in his early 30s on on the road to Damascus conversion, okay? So this is like 30 years later. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) He has been a missionary for many years. He has already spent his couple of years in Ephesus and then moved on. And at the time that he wrote the letter, um, he was in prison, probably in Rome. So he's, you know, sitting in, under house arrest, basically writing these letters to the churches and sending them out because he's in prison. He can no longer be with them. <clears throat> the style it was written in is like classic letter. It has everything from like the Greek. Do you remember? Did you ever learn when you were in elementary school? What are like the parts of a letter? What's the first part? The greeting and, and then, you know, it's okay. Introduction, it's the same thing. Um, dear. So and so, the salutation. Is that the salutation? Yes, the salutation. Okay, so let's read the first couple of verses. Like, um, they don't teach what? <gasps> no. Oh, goodness. How are these people going to write cover letters when they're grown ups? I mean, it's still necessary, right? Mom's going to write it for them. <laughs> get, you, yeah, you get your format. You don't have to learn it. <laughs> Okay, well, Paul clearly knew the letter format before Microsoft Word because he, he has his introduction at the first, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That's verse 1. And then he continues on, to the saints who are in Ephesus. That's the end of verse 1. And are, in great, are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greeting. And then he moves on into the body of the letter, um, which... Um, you know, he covers a lot of things, but the way that this particular letter is structured is that like the first two and a half, well, yeah, two and a half, three chapters, close to that, are very deeply theological in nature. They're like heavy stuff. And, but what he's doing is he's laying out his argument for everything he has to tell them. He's saying, this is who God is. This is what God has done for you. This is who you are in Christ. And then by the time you get to chapter 4, 5, and 6, he's saying, okay, you know these things. You know who God is, what he's done, and who you are. Act like it. Act like you are the people of God. And this is what the people of God act like. And so chapters 4, 5, and 6 are very, like, practical instructions about everyday life. Um, Chapter 4, it says, walk no longer as the Gentiles, but um, he goes on and, like, like, do not partake in falsehood, 
tell the truth. Let thieves no longer steal, but get an honest job. Like it is straight up practical advice for how to live um, a, the Christian life. And so that's chapters four, five, and six. And then he closes it with this. Is there something like, a, is it just the signature at the end? I can't remember. What, what, I don't remember what you call this, the closing, the closing and then the signature, right. We've even got that at the end of chapter 6. You've got um, the final greetings. Um, Peace be to the brothers in love with that. And then he says, he tells them that he's sending the letter to them by the hand of Tychicus. Wouldn't you like that to be your name? Um, so he was the one who like carried the letter from Rome all over the Ephesus area. And read it to them, and he tells them who's sending it, and then he says again, you know, um, I am an ambassador in chains, basically reminding them, hey, I'm in prison, pray for me. And then he closes out the letter with just um, a final, um, I guess, wish for them. It says, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. And so... Um, it's, it's just a good letter for um, the Christian life. It's very practical. Um, I mean, it's like I said, it's deeply theological, but it's so, so good. Um, I love it. I hope you do too. And um, the way that it is different from a lot of his other letters, um, like say, for example, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, a lot of Paul's other letters were written, obviously, to address a specific problem. So... Um, In Corinthians, there's, like, this issue of sexual immorality, like, somebody has done something they shouldn't have done, and, like, Paul's writing to him and saying, you should put him out of the church. Like, he doesn't need to be a part of the church. And, like, it's dealing with one issue after another. Um, And whatever else it is, how giving giving with a cheerful heart, um, all those sorts of things, it's... Paul is writing, answering questions that the church has asked him. And it's obvious when you read some of his other letters that he's kind of writing in response to something they have asked him. This is not that way. This letter seems to have been written to encourage them, to maybe give them some instructions on um, maybe new believers, some instructions, some basic guidelines on what it means to be a believer, um, what it means Okay, so you have trusted in Jesus. You believe the gospel. Good. Now what? You know? And so it's like he's telling them how to take it one step farther. What do you do next? And um, so that's exactly what he does here. That's, how, that's what kind of sets it apart. Um, some of the themes of the letter that I've already mentioned. Um, the greatness of God. The limitlessness of God. And how Paul kind of focuses on that throughout the letter. It is one of the biggest themes. It is um, the foundation on which all of the other arguments that he makes, all the other instructions in the letter, rest on the foundation that God is big, he is in control, he's got this. Um, And so that all rests on on that. Um, God's sovereignty, God's predestination, um, his purposeful plan. I, I know that predestination can be kind of a dirty word in some circles but you can't not talk about it in Ephesians because it straight up uses the word in the verses and so we'll talk about that some more when we get actually next week um is when we'll cover that we're not we're not going easy we're just going to jump right in um but the point the big picture point that Paul is making is that God has a purpose 
that every single thing that has happened in history is part of his plan. Um, it says that he has a plan that has been laid out through the ages, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of it, that he comes at exactly the right time, and that God is in control of everything. So his sovereignty is and his purpose is one of the big themes. Another one um, is the unity of the church. Um, remember earlier we talked about like the division between Gentiles and Jews, like you were either Jewish or you were Gentile, but you couldn't be both. Like there was no crossing over the two. Well, one of the themes in Ephesians is that there is now no longer Jews or Gentiles, that in Christ both have been made one. Through Christ both have access to the Father. And so he's dealing with some very real issues, kind of like racial reconciliation, um, things that would have divided the early church. And he's saying, nope, we're, we're together in this. You know, get used to it. Better like each other because you're stuck with each other. That's what I tell my daughters anyway. You're never getting rid of each other. You're sisters. And so he's basically telling them the same way, not in that tone of voice, obviously, but he's saying we are both the same. Um, we should be unified. So unity in the church. Um, another one that he, that's a, kind of a big deal is like the spiritual growth of believers and growing into maturity. Um, the first, like the whole entire first chapter of Ephesians is a prayer. Um, it, it's this, you know, he's blessing God and thanking God at the beginning and praising God at the very beginning. But toward the end of chapter one, he prays specifically for the Ephesians. And the prayer that he prays in chapter 1, verse 18, is that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened, that they would know the hope to which God has called them, the riches of his glorious inheritance, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And in chapter 2, he says that God has done all that he has done for us because he has prepared good works for us. And then in chapter 4, he talks about how Christ has gifted each one of us so that we can then go out and bring others into the family. And so, um, but you can't do that. You can't use your gifts if you're still a spiritual baby. And so, um, one of the big emphases is on growing up into the person that God has created you to be. And to leaning in to the purpose that God has for you, um, whatever that may be. And to walking in that, um, Full of the Spirit, full of truth, praising God all the while, giving glory to God. That That's the other big theme. Um, not only the, the last one, I think that we'll talk, well, no, there's two more, sorry. Um, but we've already talked about the last one a little bit. Not only does Paul talk about unity like among believers in the church, but also the unity that we have with God, um, which a lot of times, which God is high above us don't get me wrong but he's Paul spends a lot of time in Ephesians talking about how Christ is the head of the church and we are his body how we have been united with him how we share an inheritance with him and how basically maybe not so much unity with Christ but how we have been elevated above our present status um, because of the work that Christ has done for us he has brought us up to where he is so that we can be with him. There's a lot of with Christ and in Christ and through Christ and with God um, that describe our position, like where we actually are now that we have believed in Jesus. So there's a lot of that. Um, and then the final theme that we've already talked about a little bit is spiritual warfare. 
Um, <laughs> there's, I mean, chapter 6 and talking about putting on the full armor of God and, like, all the enemies and, like, we don't fight a battle of flesh and blood. We fight against the principalities, the rulers and the authorities and all this kind of stuff. It talks about taking a stand against the devil. And that's a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily talk about very much these days because we all live in, like, the concrete world. Um, but it's a very real thing that still affects the church today. And so he kind of lays out some guidelines for dealing with that spiritual battle for the warfare that we are all facing um, day in and day out. And um, he tells us how to prepare, how, how to dress ourselves so that we can face whatever, whatever it is that the world and Satan and whoever else want to throw us. Um, and how to just be God's people. Um, and how to serve this God of ours who is limitless. Um, in closing, the last, the very last benediction, that's the word for it. I couldn't think of it. I'm like, what is the last, what is it? Um, what, does anybody know what a benediction is? Have, did any of you grow up in like more traditional churches where they have like the benediction at the end of the service? It's, yeah, a closing prayer. It's like a blessing, um, that's usually given to like, go forth, you know, go into the world. What's, when you leave our church and you're driving out onto the road, like what's that sign? You're headed into the mission field, right? It's like a reminder, okay, yes, we are all the people of God, but we are the people of God for a reason, and that is to serve this world that we live in. And so part of that um, is growing up into being the person that God has created us to be, but we can't do that if we don't know the God who has created us. And so my hope and prayer for all of us is that the Lord would reveal himself to us through his word, that we would come to know him more deeply and see him more clearly and come through on the other side forever changed. So that is my prayer for us. Um, I'm looking forward to it, and um, I hope that y'all are too.